0: is the enter Sadmen podcast every rock and metal album you should own reviewed rated and ranked yeah so hello again welcome along welcome along to the enter sad men podcast episode 55 a very special episode because it's um it's one in which we will answer or endeavor to answer one of the great mysteries of our time nothing to do with the big bang or the meaning of life chicken and egg couldn't give a fuck which came first we will answer the question when are these three bellends finally going to get around to reviewing Back in Bloody Black? <laughs> Rest easy, people, because that, that that's tonight. So yeah, welcome along to the show. Good to have you company. The three bellends in question are me, Steve, Mark, and Rich, my buddies. We'll be doing this together as we always do, um, embarking on the next leg of our odyssey, our journey to create the um, the ultimate hard rock and heavy metal hall of fame, the Enter Sad Men Hall of Fame, a kind of league table of rock's best albums. Released between well, we we go 1970 to 1995, um, our kind of golden age, if you will. But you know, we'll cross the Led Zeppelin one and two question when that crops up. But for now, it's 1970 to 1995, and I say yeah, that sort of the, we do this. We look at the sort of the best albums at that time. But inevitably, it being a whole cross section of albums, broad church that we listen to, there's mostly good, some amazing, one or two and one or two incredible, and the odd stinker. Um, and if you want to know all about the stinkers as well as the great ones, then go and have a look at them. Uh, the Hall of Fame in all its multicoloured glory at www.entersadmen.co.uk. Usual rules, we do three albums per episode. Uh, we review them, we rate them track by track, which is the kind of fine tooth comb that we bring to this thing, sort of stands it apart from the rest. And then we, based on the scores we give them, we rank them in the Hall of Fame. And so to this episode, we we, we pick our albums based on a theme, always have done uh, randomly generated for us by our faithful tombola the tico torres tombola of topics and themes he spits out a number that corresponds with a subject or a theme and um last time out he spat out whatever he spat out anyway it corresponded with the word black which let's face it given the color blacks association with this genre it's pretty much an open goal on it <laughs> no shortage of choices and yeah and mark it gave us the opportunity to finally stop tiptoeing around the issue and do what was required some time yeah. ago wasn't it so go yeah. on then talk us through <laughs> your jeps
1: yeah. well we had 20 op- we've had at least twenty opportunities to pick back in black and <laughs> um, and we've just danced around it we've swerved <laughs> it every single time haven't we yeah and I just I you joked didn't you a few episodes ago you said the only time we're going to do that album is when we have a, a, a an episode that's actually titled "Albums Called Back in Black," <laughs> yes. and um, and I, I was beginning to think that actually we were going to have to go down that road and just do the one, but <laughs> but then Tico spat out the magic number, and I too have forgotten what that number was, um, and I just couldn't I couldn't sidestep it anymore. No. So yeah, Back in Black, ACDC. and I'm really excited, not just because we're talking about that album. But also because we've lined up a couple of absolute bangers to sit alongside it.
0: Yeah, the beauty of the word black—it has, isn't it? Some august company it's keeping um, in this episode. So, Richard, where did you? Where, where did the? Uh, where did that beautiful five-letter word take you? Yeah, Mark cracked first, didn't he, with ACDC?
2: <laughs> and because of that, I thought, well, we've got to in for a penny. We, we let let let's go for it. So, uh, yeah, it is time to uh, visit our. Wonderful German friends again, the Scorpions, and in or is it their my favourite album of theirs? We'll see, but I've picked their 1982 offering, Blackout. Okay,
0: yeah, well, there are very many ne'er do wells who would think I'm the odd man out, but we, but we know different, don't we? Because um, I've chosen um YNT's second fourth album whatever we'll have that debate later but um yeah their their second album is YNT Black Tiger so there you go those are the three for this episode episode 55 let's have a little listen to uh, some choice cuts um from all three and then we'll uh, come and dine out on the first of them <laughs> Right, so we all do always do these things in chronological order, and that means that we start with 1980. And Mark, finally, back in black. Opening album sleeve notes.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, um, it, it almost seems pointless, doesn't it, talking about it, because everybody has talked so much about it that there's very little that's absolutely new to say about it. But every time I, I play the album... Which isn't actually as often as it, it used to be because, I mean, who does play these albums all the time? You know, when you've sat with them for 40 years, you, you kind of you have a bit of a break between listens, don't you? But every time I listen to it, I think I'll put it on and that bell starts and I think, is it really the best hard rock, heavy metal album of all time like so many lists claim it to be or is it just because you know back in black is the ultimate riff or hell's bells is the ultimate chorus or the black the back story of the band had no right to be kind of rebounding the way they did after bond's death and all of it the, and then you get about you know a minute into hell's bells and you go yeah this absolutely deserves to be on top of every single list going but we'll find out tonight whether it's deserves to be on the top of ours and I'm also conscious, I think one of the reasons why we've avoided it so much is because we know that it is going to be up, it's probably one of the last albums, actually, that really you kind of go, yeah, that's going to be there or thereabouts, isn't it? So, yeah, so I felt like it was time to do it. Yeah, I absolutely love this band, always have. I don't think that's any secret to anybody who's listened to this podcast for you know more than a, you know two or three months, but you know what do you say about this album you know it's 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 an album that was a comeback album they record it you know six months uh after bon scott dies it comes out later that yeah you know, that year towards the, uh, christmas august september time was it and nobody expected least of all the band expected it to become this gigantic thing that it has become and um you know, it's 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 well. Is it the classic ACDC? Have got to be about the only band in the world that have two classic lineups, don't they? I don't think there's any other band that that kind of has that. So. Yeah, let's um, let's run through the the basic stuff. Uh, anybody who's been around this music for you know more than five minutes knows all of this anyway. So it is ACDC, formed in Sydney, Australia, in the early nineteen seventies. This album was released actually it's July, July twenty fifth, nineteen eighty, on the Atlantic label. Recorded between April and May at Compass Point. In the Bahamas, produced by Robert John Mutt Lang, who had also overseen Highway to Hell and would also see oversee for those about's rock as well. Uh, a trio of albums that I think most people would consider to be among the superior ones of the ACDC Canon. It's 42 minutes and change in length. It as I say came after Highway to Hell, which was 79. The next one was. For those about to rock, we salute you. So this is the second of the classic lineups. Um, the four members are member of both, uh, were members of both Angus and Malcolm Young uh, on lead and rhythm guitar respectively, Cliff Williams on bass, Phil Rudd on drums and we'll talk a bit about him later on because uh, I've, I've cried laughing at some of the stuff uh, he's done on this album uh, over the last week and the new boy <laughs> seems strange to say it, after 40 years but at this point he was he was um, he was less than six months into the gig. Uh, Brian Johnson on vocals formerly of George. Uh Okay, so achievements. Uh, highest UK chart position, one, 29 weeks on the chart. Highest US chart position, not number one, four, 83 weeks on the chart. And number seven in the 1980 year-end chart. It has sold 31 million copies in the US alone. 25 times platinum. Unbelievable, really. Like all good albums in the 1980s, it's 10 tracks long. Side one, Hell's Bells, Shoot to Thrill, What Do You Do for Money, Honey, Give Them the Dog a Bone, Let Me Put My Love Into You, and then Slip It Over, and you get back in black with that riff. You Shoot Me All Night Long, Have a Drink on Me, Shake a Leg, and finally Rock and Roll, Eight Noise Pollution. I did That's it. I mean, this is one of the most well-known albums that there is.
2: a joy listening to this end to end again i think it stands a damn good chance even in our list of getting right up there but what's going to be interesting is it's not all perfect we're doing this differently we do this differently we rate this track by track you know there i i have given some maximums uh, but i have also given some scores that whilst not because there are no stinkers on here they are still some way off a maximum yeah. So um it's gonna be interesting to see whether it has got enough in terms of that consistency between all of us. Because once again, we find a lot of albums are put at the top of these other lists because of three or four super duper tracks, even though the rest you know, can pale into insignificance. Uh so I think what's gonna be different about our analysis of this is has has it got that consistency throughout, enough consistency throughout. Is it truly all over, front, back, top to bottom—a great album, Steve.
0: Yeah, no, I echo that because I've always been of the view steadfastly um, that "Let There Be Rock" is my favorite ACDC album. It was—it was a question that never needed answering. It, it was a statement of fact, or so I thought. And the scores we did—we well, did that, you know, a fair few episodes ago, and it scored very well. You know, I've, I've given some scores here, and, I'm, and, I, and I think I know where I am with this. And, and yet they're two very different albums, clearly. You had two very different lead singers. You know, the engine room is the same, but there was a different direction to the band. The first thing I've written down here it, 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 it just was just astonishing. And that was the first word I started, and I'll use that as my sort of starting point. But then you, you think it through and you think, well, actually, it's not astonishing at all, is it? Because astonishing kind of implies some element of surprise. and and and, I'm, and and you're not in the least bit surprised. That they've, that they've done this, so I didn't think until I found out that about the timetable. Because I saw them in 1980, I saw them on this tour in at the um, was it at the, the Victoria Palace? I think it was called. If um, I got that right, I don't know. Yeah, um, in that. November, yeah, um, front row of the balcony. Remember where I was? Just can't remember the name of the venue. And, and I absolutely adored it. You know, incredible when that bell came down, and i would never seen anything like it. You know, as a live set, as a live show, and it wasn't big, it wasn't grandiose like it became. It was a, it was a nice tight gig in a nice tight venue but it still felt really special but I didn't know anything about the time set at the time you know the fact that you know Bomb was barely cold you know by the time that they were you know well written the album and and were touring it so I didn't know any of that so to that end you know it's quite that is astonishing you know that that they managed to um, you know do all that in in such a short space of time incredible professionalism um, and and an astonishing sort of you know um, strike rate from the band to be able to produce all these songs and do it and do the tour I thought they were brilliant um, it just remains, yeah, I mean, it, it just remains a fantastic listen. You know, so tight, so cool, so witty. You, know, you can bang your head to it, you can laugh at it, you, know, you can tap your foot to it. But no matter how we score it, everyone should have it. <laughs> it yeah. I mean, I don't care if you're a rock fan or not, everyone should have it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it, yeah, it will score very well.
1: Okay, well, look, let's get on and listen to it um, and let's find out exactly how these tracks are scored. Um, because as you both said, it's not perfect. In fact, some tracks are quite a long way off being perfect, but uh, the consistency, that's what will do or not for it. I remember when I first got this album, and that's the other thing to say, is that every time I listen to this album, I, I feel exactly as I felt the first time I heard it. My jaw hits the floor, and I'm just completely kind of transported by it. And... Hell's Bells opens it up. The sound of that bell tolling, and then the kind of the, the riff or the the guitar line comes in. Angus Angus's guitar line, and then it all just kicks off. And to be honest, it doesn't stop after that. I mean, the backstory of this particular song, of course, is that uh, Jono had writer's block. couldn't Couldn't think of the lyrics uh, for it. They're kind of holed up in the studio in the Palmers. And Mutt Lang kind of sits him down and says, just look, you know, just write what you can see. And at the time, there was a tropical storm going on, and Jono looks out the window, and he sees the lightning, and he sees the rain pouring down, and it's thundering. And we get, um, I'm a rolling thunder, I'm pouring rain, and that's what kicks the whole album off. And I'm sold. I'm sold. 48 seconds in, I'm done. I'm there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love Malcolm Young's explanation of the bell. Have you read that? It's just fantastic. He says says, he'd got the riff. Angus has got the title. The weather, as you said, it just determined the lyrics. And Malcolm said that he'd just gone outside when he had this kind of eureka moment. It just came to him. And he said, I was just taking a piss. And I thought, hang on, why don't we just get a big fucking (laughs) bell? (laughs) <laughs> which is just brilliant because you do don't you
1: um <laughs> that must have come as an absolute joy to mutt lang strapped in this, this <laughs> studio in the middle of yes. fucking nowhere going, yeah. what yeah i need a bell
0: yeah uh dear yeah no but if, if uh, astonishing was my my word for the album slack-jawed was um and you know this isn't one of the flawed ones. This is a ten out of tenor. A tenor. <laughs> just no two ways about sure. it. Just the, the perfect starting track.
2: I've tried for the purposes of this podcast just just to try and think about the track. And because everyone knows this so well. Why why is it so good? I mean it's it's that held back riff at the start and then it slowly builds and the, and then this it just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And builds. And then the, the the main riff is this just a most amazing groove. And in terms of Johnson's performance, his vocal performance on this record is outstanding. In one song, wipe away any doubt.
0: And the other and the other and the other really exciting thing about it, or the interesting thing and almost the sort of the, the, the stagecraft is that you have to wait one minute twenty eight seconds before the opening lyric from the opening track of a new singer with one of the world's greatest bands. I mean, that's just brilliant theatre. That's almost like, you know, foreshadowing or something, if I've got the right (laughs) stage term. You know, it's just kind of heightening that drama to an nth degree. And I think that's absolutely brilliant, so clever. I mean, it had to be the opening track, didn't it? Especially with the big bell and, you know, just made for it.
1: And not only a new singer, but a complete unknown. Mm -hmm. And everyone's going... Hold on, Bond's been in the ground less than two months. You're in the studio recording with some bloke we've never heard of. Really, he's had a bit of chart success with Geordie, but you know, no one's really heard of him. And you just think, oh God, you know, this can't. This is just a car crash waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's not. Uh, and if we thought that Hell's Bells was kind of superior, well, then it just kind of crashes into Shoot to Thrill, which has just got the I mean, just the greatest groove and, and hook line on it, imaginable. I mean, I've, I've given up trying to be objective about this album. I'm telling you, it's just, it's impossible. It's impossible. What I love about this, though, this is the point where I suddenly start to become aware of Phil Rudd. Now, with the best will in the world, Phil is not the most technically gifted drummer there is. But on this particular track, he's a bit, do you know, remember those monkeys? with the cymbals. <laughs> yes. And he's like, he's just, you know, stomping along beside it. It's just a, there's no kind of finesse. Richard, tell me if I'm missing this completely, <laughs> but it just feels like he's just banging whatever he can find. There seems to be no rhyme or reason to his drumming at all.
2: Is there a better start to a rock song than Shooter Thrill? The, the way it kicks off. I think it's use of the drums, I mean, it, it, he has a very minimalist style, as we know. <laughs> You know, so he, well, he doesn't put be, any more effort in than is absolutely necessary.
1: And to be fair, part of the genius of this band is that they've always been less is more. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Always.
1: Yeah. You know, and that back line, they just keep it really simple, don't they?
0: Yeah. And that's why I've always thought Shooter Thrill is a little bit more typical than AC as an ACDC song than say hell's bells, just kind of it, it just feels a bit more like that. And, uh, people who don't get ACDC simply don't have soul because you can just wear holes in the carpet tapping your foot to this. It is just yeah. so, so catchy. I've oh, bought a track, too. That's a yeah. tough act to follow.
2: Oof. It, well, it is. It's an amazing groove. And then you've got that break in the middle, and then and into the solo, and then, and of course, the ending. Mm. <laughs> the, yes. the ending yeah. just leaves you breathless.
1: <laughs> well, then we get um, – well, you talked about wit – Steve, uh, what do you do for money, honey, is track three. And I think, you know, if you believe in such things, I I think by this point, Bond's probably up there and he's probably got a wry smile on his face and he's quite happy. Um, Because although Brian Johnson doesn't have quite the lyrical guile that Bon had, there is a lot of Bon in this, in this particular, well, in this one and the next one, the dog a bone. Uh, I, I'm not going to spoil it and tell you what that's about, but, um, you know, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> obviously that's a surprise to come. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and arguably the, the final track on on this side, let me put my love into you. Again, I don't want to spoil it by telling you
2: what the lyrics are about,
1: but, um, but I think I think this kind of carries on that rich Bond tradition, doesn't it? What did you do for money, honey?
2: A, a celebration of, uh, of, of the, the old man it's a good song but it follows two perfect songs but the ly- the riff I love the
0: riff on this yeah very hooky hooky riff it is very hooky and the, the, the music the music have been around since power Ridge time it kind of tells you something perhaps if it didn't make it onto power Ridge. I don't know but um, yeah. because it is again you know even more so than shoot to throw just it's that kind of groovy sleazy ACDC of, of yesteryear almost you know, updated with Jono's voice and, you know, a few tricks, but, you know, measured perfectly. It's a great thing to watch, AC, early ACDC. I still count this as early, live, when they were, yeah, yeah. you know, pre-Inflatable Rosie and, you know, uh, Cannons and multiple Anguses. It just looks like five blokes in a club, and it was bloody brilliant, you know, and, it's, and this came across such a brilliant... You, you love it more when you see it live.
1: I think the thing about this, this album as well is that it's... Production-wise, it is such a massive step up from mm. anything else. You know, good as Highway to Hell is. When you listen to these two albums side by side, Back in Black and Highway to Hell, Highway to Hell sounds really thin mm. on the production. This is really rich and full, isn't it? And, and it it lifts it so much. I think.
2: Well, also, I mean, it, I mean, Mark Lang was real control freak, wasn't he? Real perfectionist. Yeah. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And and I think he, he really worked them hard on on this. But they still managed to create something that had such enormous energy. So, Give the Dog a Bone, I, I think, you know,
1: b- compared to the rest of the tracks on this side, it's fairly ordinary by comparison to everything else. If anybody else had released this on a, an album, you'd be going, that's an amazing song. But it's keeping some pretty good company here. Um And then they slow it all down a bit for Let Me Put My Love Into You. Um which is, I was going to say, considered, but that makes it sound like it's in some way serious and doesn't have its tongue or dick in its cheek. But <laughs> of course it does, doesn't it? So, But they do. They slow it right down. In fact, both sides end with much... Well, I was going to say rock and roll ain't noise pollution's a slow song. It starts slow, but it, it builds, doesn't <laughs> it? A great first side. Very little wrong with it. Very yeah. little wrong with it. Yeah,
2: I mean, g- giving the dog a bone is a dip for me. You know, that's... I mean, I've given... I've only given that a seven because I just feel it. it's in the company it's keeping. It's workmanlike. I like the dual riff. It's a good sing-along, but uh, nothing like the the tracks around it. But then Let Me Put My Love Into You is a step back up. I mean, They're echoes of Night Prowler off of Highway to Hell. Again, a really moody start, that paired-back guitar, and then it builds again. So many of these songs in this album just build brilliantly. Another brilliant vocal performance from Johnson.
0: I, actually, I prefer Giving the Dog Is it Giving the Dog a Bone? Giving the Dog a Bone. There's in, a, there's yeah, giving, it. yeah, giving. I love Giving the Dog a Bone just because it is that infectious kind of ACDC lit, you know, find a riff, reckon it's okay, can you dance to it yet? Yeah. Okay, well, let's just milk it. Um, and that's kind of what they do and why I love them. And I do love, I love Let Me Put My Love Into You. He's got a kind of crawl to it, it a little bit gone shooting about it as well. There's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I'm proud of, but, um, it's a bit sleazy. Great way to close the side,
1: and of course, then you uh, you think, well, you know, you know, side two generally tends they tend to put all the effort these bands into side one, don't they? And of course, it's back in black shit? Well, <laughs> uh, possibly one of the best known riffs ever. It's been sampled everywhere. There are so many people who've said it is the greatest rock and roll riff ever recorded, aren't there? I mean, I think. The stones might take some issue with that, but I mean, it's it's just instantly recognizable.
2: Yeah. You know, and why? Uh, So, obviously, the start, you've got this amazing back line, you've got this cut riff, which then Johnson in a lot of things is singing in between. So that you've got this call and answer from the guitar to the vocals, and then they join in in, the, in the, the rise up to the, well, it's not a chorus, is it? It's just one line, and then they're off again. It's, I never, ever, ever tire of this groove. I could listen to this guitar riff forever. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get the impression this album's going to do quite well
3: when they ask for
0: it, Steve. <laughs> yeah. I love the ball they put in Johnson's Court, where they said, right, we want this song to be in memory of Bond, but not a sad thing. And it's yeah, fuck me. And he called that a toughie, didn't he? And um, yeah, he did. Yeah, um, and that's quite. That's, it's quite an art. I mean, as I say, yeah, the, the, the blokes still warming the ground for Christ's sake. But um, yeah, the Youngs loved the riff, didn't they? Written by Malcolm, I'm guessing, because they said it was a swinger, something that they'd not heard before. Um, yeah. and I kind of get that as well. Listen, we've all heard it. I, I've slightly overheard it, if I'm honest. And it yeah, doesn't, doesn't stop me scoring yeah. it stupidly high.
1: Oddly enough, it's, it's never been a 10 out of 10 track for me. This. No, like, no, no, no. Not no, even no. right at the start.
0: And the problem is, of course, how do you follow it? How, how on earth do you follow Back in Black? <laughs> it's not like you could put a 10 out of 10 track after it, is it?
1: They solve that problem fairly quickly. <laughs> they? With possibly the second best known riff <laughs> of all time. Yeah. Um, you shoot me all night long, um, which is just, I mean, just... I think that's the thing about this album. You just go, well, they can't. Oh, they did. <laughs> they did. They topped it. Amazing. Or maybe in your, for you, maybe, Rich, they didn't. But for me, they did. For me, it was like, well, Back in Black, I, mean, I say, I never thought it was you know, a 10 out of 10 track. It was a 9.6 track. But you shook me all like Longs a 10 out of 10 every single day.
0: Just, you follow the perfect rock song with the perfect pop song, don't you? the way it just lifts and the coolest of riffs. Jono jumps in with smut on his mind. Um, (laughs) Best lyrics. Anyone doesn't know the lyrics, you you must be dead. And if you're not, go check them out. And then the addition of the second guitar, the addition of the bass into that chorus, and bang, gold struck.
2: Yeah, it is such massive fun. You know what the song is from the first chord. One chord. It's all you need to play. Mm-hmm. Um, yes yeah uh, yeah you've said it all this is perfect pop hard rock it's just mm. weird, just so bouncy uh, such good fun
1: track three side two even ACDC can't can't keep that going for three straight tracks um, and this is a bit of a step down from you shouldn't all Night long but then anything was going to be probably um, but I still love have a drink on me I love the way it takes off halfway through, and just goes like a yeah. train to the end.
0: That finish is um, stunning, isn't it?
1: Oh, amazing. Amazing. I mean, that's a 10 out of 10 finish. Yes. Yeah, the, re- the the beginning of it might not be 10 out of 10, but the end of it absolutely definitely is. And for me, I think this is a, a, a more than acceptable way to follow up you shook me all mm-hmm. night long.
0: Mm-hmm. On a sober note, um, a lot of people found it, considered it a bit disrespectful, didn't they? Given how yeah. Bond died, but... You know, fuck I me, mean, they have been yeah, they but- been they have been writing about booze all their life, haven't they? I mean, why? And Bond liked it. You yeah, know, oddly
1: enough, Bond liked his drinks. So yes. Yeah, you know, and I think if, if Bond was going to go anyway, any that you know, would have been it. I it? mean, might not have chosen that way, but <laughs> yeah. you know, that was kind yeah. of fitting,
3: wasn't
0: it? I think um, so. And they always maintained that the album was a sort of celebration anyway, rather than an obituary. Yeah. So I think it's spot yeah. on. I love this. It's so it, I love that bluesy opening, and yeah, that that finish is. Um, you're right. It can't. You can't do. You can't get three ten out of ten. I'm sure someone could. Um, but yeah, it's um it is a step down from you shoot me all night long, but in no way does that suggest that it or it's not meant to suggest that it's a bad track, far from it.
2: Yeah, it's not bad. It's um but it's my other lower scorer. I really like the star. I think I'm most disappointed by the verse. When it sort of drops into the verse, it's a bit you know, a bit one dimensional. a good chorus, great solo. Do yeah. I do like the solo on this
0: song?
1: Where, where the album does dip for me um i think is is the next one though shake a leg um which i find if if this had been on any other album i'd have probably quite liked it but it, it just feels a bit a bit predictable a bit straightforward to me for uh, after everything you know we've had eight tracks all of which have been amazing in their own way and this just seems to me to be a bit sort of you know standard acdc buffet really um it's perfectly good perfectly all right you know, i don't i don't feel the need to move it on when it pops on but it's not i don't think it's anything special
0: yeah no I, it's not predictable for me as much as i didn't see that main beat coming from the from the intro so i quite like that um the way this sort of
1: it's go. it's at pace it's at pace and it's, and it's,
0: the, it's, the, it's the it's the it's the fastest song on the album isn't it? I, I think yeah, yeah. I, you know hand jive with bollocks as I've called it. Because that's (laughs) what it is, really, isn't it? No wonder Lemmy loved them.
2: I really like this. Yeah. It's got that unassuming start. But when it goes, Mm. it just, this one pulls you along. The riff pulls you along. And just sit still for a second. Listen to it. You're not allowed to move.
1: (laughs) But I think every one of these songs would be a 10 out of 10 for somebody. That's the thing about the album, I think. So anyway, they start on a 10. They have a couple of 10s running through the album. And then for me, they finish on a 10 uh, with Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution. Um, I absolutely love this song. I think it's just fantastic. Um, just the smoky, kind of sleazy, bluesy start. Um, and and I just think it's such a statement song as well. It's, it's a fuck you, I think, to all the detractors and all the naysayers. And... I love the way it builds and I love the sentiment of it, I think. Um, the first time I heard this, I had headphones on and um, I, just, I had to go back and play it over and over again.
2: Just think it's wonderful. It's not a 10 out of 10 for me. It's, 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 I've given it a pretty high score, though. I think the the bridge is the best bit. That, that, yeah. that bridge between the verse and the chorus, just yeah. just fantastic. And, and what a solo. What a solo yeah. to finish with and uh, leave everybody wanting more.
0: It's those things that elevate a slightly straightforward track. I don't mind straightforward. Not in ACDC's hands, they do straightforward better than anyone else. Um, it's, it's my weak link um, on the album, not because it's poor by any stretch—far from it. But um, I just, yeah, it, I have less to. It has less to commend it than the previous nine, in my view.
1: I think we know what Steve's low is. Steve, uh, let's have your high, and then Richard, you can tell us you what
0: yeah um, well I've, I've just got a couple of tens um and given where it is on the album and the memory of being there and seeing Jono with a giant mallet in his hand for, now, for now, um hell's bells <laughs> my low is giving the dog a bone
2: i've given three maximums on <laughs> this album oh i can't choose I'm going to go back in black. Okay. Uh, well, Shake
1: a Leg is uh, my very high-scoring low on the album. And uh, I trumped a lot of you and gave uh, four-tens. Um, but, yeah, I-, I think for that moment when, back in July 1980, when I first put this on the turntable and put the needle down, it has to be Hell's Bells. Absolutely, has to be. Every day of the week. Uh, so if I have to choose one of my four-tens... That's the baby. There you go. That is uh, ACDC's Back in Black. I fancy uh, that is going to be, well, somewhere near the top (laughs) and probably a bit higher than the other two albums that we are talking about this evening. Unless unless one of you two or both of you two have gone completely nuts. But we'll find out what uh, what the Scorpions uh, are going to score next because uh, that, Richard, is your choice with their 1982 album Blackout.
0: Opening album Sleeve Notes.
2: Yep, Blackout. Well, probably we were talking about that ACDC trio of uh, of albums. And I think the last, of uh, probably the, the what were felt to be that, that great trio of, of albums that the Scorpions made. Uh, Love Drive, followed by Animal Magnetism, and then Blackout in 1982. We featured the Scorpions. I think whatever we, we've done in trance before. I mean, this is the second appearance on um, on the on the podcast. And yeah, I, I love Blackout. Bought it when it came out. I wasn't aware at the time of, sort of you know, what a troubled gestation it had. They'd uh, just come off the tour. Klaus Miners' uh, vocal cords were absolutely shot, and uh, and, he, and he was worried at one point that he would never sing again. Uh, whilst Klaus had an operation and tried to recover, uh, they carried on writing and uh, got a very young Don Dockin in to uh, record some of the vocals, potentially, to um, uh, to become the, the, the singer on on this album. Not featured Dockin yet. I'm sure we will uh, in a, an episode fairly soon. Um, let's see. But eventually, luckily, Klaus Miner's uh, voice did improve, got better, and a- actually probably as... as You can see on some of the tracks on this album better than ever. The album itself was recorded from November 81 uh, through to uh, January 82 and released in March, at the end end of March, on uh, Harvest uh, EMI in Europe and Mercury in the US and Canada. Uh, lengthwise uh, shade under 37 minutes uh, producer obviously Dieter Dierks who'd worked with them so you know for, for many many albums they recorded it in uh, in France with Dierks own mobile studio uh, and then uh, his studio and his proper studios uh, back in Stomine in West Germany personnel well again Another classic lineup, Klaus Minor lead vocals, Rudy Schenker, rhythm guitars, acoustic guitars, various leads and backing vocals, Matthias Yabs, the new arrival really cementing his position uh, in the group on uh, mostly lead guitars. Francis Buchholz on bass, Herman Rarebell on drums. Chart-wise, it did pretty well. Uh, 10 in the US, 11 in the UK, and did go platinum in in the US. By then, they'd broken the states. This really just cemented their position over there. Track-wise, well, it's an 80s album, but it's only got nine. Uh, Five on side one, four on side two side so ones blackout can't live without you no one like you you give me all i need and now and side to dynamite arizona china white and finishes with when the smoke is going down I love this album. Absolutely love it. Gents, what about you? How did, how did you come across Blackout?
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's a fantastic album. I mean, the, Klaus, the, the the minor singing story is extraordinary in itself, you know, because he, he made the point, didn't he, that he'd, you know, he'd been singing, well, we know he'd been singing in clubs long before the Scorpions, you know, for hours a night and smoky bars at that, I dare say. Mm. Um, and after two throat ops throat tops and therapy, not only was he back in the studio and not holding back, as anyone who knows this album, um will appreciate but then they went straight off on another tour mm. i mean you know it's, it's a wonder the bloke can talk never mind saying he has no right to have a voice i mean i don't think this is any better i don't know how, how you think i mean in, compared to love Driver, animal magnetism i just think it, it's no better than those two but the, the sky high levels of consistency that you've got with them and it's right up there with them um it's like this this holy trinity isn't it you know solid would be an insult it doesn't even begin to do it justice it's so much much better than that um, not a wheat track on it, nothing even close to a wheat track. And yet there's no reinvention here, is there? It's pretty much just a, a kind of repackaging of their style, just refined, you know? All those years of hard yards, you know, coming together and and, and you know, paying off. And, you know, did this one crack America? I mean, it did, didn't it? So, um, yeah, you know, yeah, it did. Smashed yeah. it off its hinges, I thought. I'm, I'm, I'm almost trying to find, you know, what that sort of magic ingredient with Scorpions is. I mean, I don't know what Dieter Dirks did. I mean, you, you're better at production skills than I am, but I don't know, you know, how did he, were the guitars tuned differently? I don't know what Razor Blade. Klaus Minor was gardening with. You know, I mean, there's a, such a belly to this and it's, um, you know, there's a weight to it, but there's also a lightness and a sharpness, mm. crispness. That doesn't don't make them unique, does it? But there's a distinct scorpion sound, and uh, this album shows that off as, as well as anything they ever did. I love it. It's just it's just such a warming album, isn't it? Cause back in the day of vinyl, any album you can stick on, you think I actually don't have to get up at any stage to move that needle, you know. And th- those those were few and far between, weren't they? Brilliant.
2: Jokes managed to capture, I think the that energy of the band. Um, hmm production wise no it's not a patch on back in black say in terms of that mm. sort of the whole depth and width of it but it, it really is like when you talk about a razor blade that's what this album is it's got it it's incredibly sharp in mm. a good way mm. uh and and it and i think what it projects is their energy i mean as a band they've got just amazing energy i mean they are the most the most amazing band to see live because they're just all running all over the place. The energy is is just extreme. And I think that it he captured it wonderfully on this album. Mm.
1: We're going to find out the answer to my question, which is, do I like this album more than I like Love Drive? I don't know. If I were speaking from my heart, I would say I still prefer Love Drive. Mm. But... This process will determine that i mean that they are very very close aren't they and i think that point you made richard about consistency um is uh, i think actually both of you made it didn't you uh, that's absolutely the secret here because if you look back you know you get taken by force uh, so in trance virgin killer taken by force love drive um animal magnetism this and then love at first thing i mean every single one of those albums is consistent every single one not a single album in that would you say well that's a bit of a dip if there's a median line they kind of they they some of them pop above some of them are just below but broadly speaking they're consistent albums i certainly think i prefer this to animal magnetism um i first heard this not long after i bought love drive a, a mate had it i didn't at that time, like it enough to go out and buy it myself. It wasn't quite the same as Love Drive. I think Love Drive was a far more sort of, in my head, it's, I haven't listened to them side by side. That'd be interesting to do. Mm-hmm. But in my head, it's a richer, more sort of velvety sound on Love Drive, mm-hmm. um, which I like. And I think to answer that question about what is it about the Scorpions that makes them different? Well, uh, I think it's the, their ability to write a hook line and a hooky, call, and a hooky riff. Yeah, these are... I think pop songs given a massively sharp edge, rock, you know, heavy metal edge, but actually they work as just as, as, you know, as earwormy kind of pop songs as well. And I think that's the secret, isn't it? It, it transcends, it, it, well, it straddles that line between, you know, people like us who were sort of, you know, shuffling around in denim and leather and wearing our hair as long as the school would let us. And, and people who, probably weren't into this music at all but if they'd heard i know no one like you they would have probably quite liked it and i think that's that's where they got to with this sort of um or this sort of holy what is it trinity quartet of of, of albums you know love drive magnetism blackout and love and uh, love first thing um love first thing obviously being the massive commercial success that it was but Yeah, I love this album. You know, I do love it. I'm not sure I love it quite as much as Love Drive, but I love it, definitely.
2: All right, well, let's uh, get through it and see how these nine tracks do, particularly compared to the behemoth that has gone before them. Right, so you want razor-sharp riffs, you want this absolute first incision to be perfect. Which guitar do you choose? (laughs) Uh, Rudolf Schenker... Forever associated with the Flying V and uh, that very, very distinctive sound uh, on a, what is a fairly simple riff, but just absolutely cuts through you uh, with Blackout, the opener. Um, and yeah, what a marker. I mean, this just unbelievable energy. This thing just bursts through the wall at you as, as a song. Um I mean, fantastic interaction between Schenker and and Yabs. I mean, obviously, Matthias Yabs came along after uh, Uli Roth and uh, Michael Schenker, but I really do feel that he he really started to become part of the soul of this band uh, on on this album. And and that interaction and balance between him and Schenker, I mean, not dissimilar to the Young Brothers, I think. They work so, so well on this track and on this album.
1: It's amazing, isn't it? Because one of the good things about Spotify is occasionally you get some bonus material at the end of the the playlist and you do with this. And there's the, I don't know whether you two have listened to it, whether you listen beyond the end of the album, but you listen to the demo of this. And if you listen to that, you go, well, you wouldn't open with that song. Uh, uh, it's completely different isn't it it's slower' mm. <clears> it's, there's not it's not got that hunger about it it's not got that sort of almost rabid vengefulness that this one has um so that that's where I think Dieter Dirks makes the difference is mm. he wrestles this sound out of them and um I mean this is a, this is just a colossal track as track as calling cards for an album go
0: yeah wow. That's that's the truth, isn't it? It's got some it's got a zip to it, isn't it? Within 30 seconds, you've got that Scorpion sound, and you also feel as though you're deep into the album. You know, yeah. because it's just you're absolutely on you're in for the ride and you know it's gonna be a fun ride. That's a great opening. Absolutely great opening.
1: Great guitar solo as well.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and so where do they go from here? Where do they go from here? Well, where they go from here is well, let's have a note to the fans. One, two, one, two, three, four. Can't live without you. <laughs> the first of two songs for the fans on this album. And I think it just continues, isn't it? The, the energy, fast paced. And we got this percussion, this tambourine. Talk about layers. Uh, another great solo from, from Yabs. And uh, yeah, I mean, they, were, they always had an amazing connection with, with their fans. I remember age 15, 16 writing off to the scorpions address and after a couple of weeks a signed postcard uh arrived signed by all of them individually in ballpoint and and it just there was always that connection i mean it's uh you could always feel the love at a scorpions concert going both ways uh and this song celebrates it (laughs) god i miss fan clubs.
1: clubs brilliant don't you though i do I was a member of the ACDC fan club for a long time. I used to get all sorts of interesting stuff through. All the stuff that I should have kept because it'd be worth a bloody fortune. <laughs> I, I do love this track, but I do find, I always find their odes to their fans slightly awkward. Um, <laughs> because... Why? Only be, well, <laughs> uh, only because it's, it's, not the, it's not the sentiment that I find <laughs> awkward. It's the, it's the imagery... Um, uh, you know, it's the banging of your head, and <laughs> mm, Klaus, no, just don't, don't go there. <laughs> um, but uh, and it's quite a straightforward little ditty as well, actually, isn't it? It's not. A, the tambourine is a great friend of the scorpions They use it. They uh, use it a lot. They use it a lot after this album. They use it a lot before this album and it works it just works it's just their little things it's their little motif and they and the little guitar motifs and the best thing about this track is it has got a fucking glorious guitar solo on yeah, it yeah, yeah. um but yeah it's it's good it's good i i don't think it's up there with the opener
0: it is this it is the sentiment for me <laughs> It's just so European, isn't it? I mean, it's just, it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's a great song, I must admit. It's also one of those rare songs in which you can actually sing the chorus long before you hear it because yes. of that opening riff. <laughs> you know exactly where it is and what it's going to sound like. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, um, it's such a good song. Love what the back room are doing. Um, but you're going to be saying that mm-hmm. with every track, aren't you? Yeah. So infectiously catchy. Um, But, yeah, slightly cheesy sentiment, (laughs) bless them.
2: Absolutely. Well, we often have slower songs to review um, from these other bands um, that we review on the podcast, and uh, we refer to them uh, generally as power ballads. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) This is a power ballad. I think you'll find, actually, this is the power ballad. Uh, track three, No One Like You, Power, Melody. I mean, no wonder it was their biggest hit. I mean, this template that started back in, of so in Trance, really, that sort of quiet, loud, and, well, we know, Holiday and, and off of Love Drive. Here, Here is that standard Scorps template again in one of their classics. Uh, I think this is absolutely wonderful. Uh, brilliant, brilliant song. One of Yab's best solos. And in my view, one of the best songs they've ever recorded.
1: No, uh, I completely agree with that. This is the song where you arrive at a bridge, and the signpost at the front of the bridge is "Love at First Sting" this way, because uh, I think this is this is the kind of the, the track where you go, yeah. "Okay, I can hear, I can now with hindsight hear." Where they were going to go next, because yeah. this could have been on that album. I think it's just fantastic; it's absolutely glorious. I was listening to this today, and i I had to stop what I was doing and just immerse myself in it. Just brilliant, absolutely brilliant.
0: And what, what I tell you, what I find, what I find, maybe not extraordinary. Extraordinary is the wrong word, but it, it it was the first single, wasn't it, off the off the album? And it reached yeah. number sixty four in the UK and number one in the US. And you know, th- there was no hint really, from any of the singles off the previous two, that, you know, they're they cracking America to that extent. I mean, it must have struck an amazing... MTV involved? I mean, there must have been a video involved, I'm guessing. I don't know. But it's... um, oh, I mean, you know, I love it when Minor does those... You know, does the emotion in those lighter sections. And as you say, it is part of that Scorpions template. Um, but this is, this is the best example of it. Or, as, yeah, as good as an example that they've ever done. Um, but I'm, I'm fascinated to know how how much it was plugged in the states you know to to get to number one on their uh mainstream rock chart
2: probably you know that sort of aor radio play mm-hmm. i guess mm-hmm. no one like you's followed by well another another ballad really another power ballad you give me all i need it's got a real holiday vibe if you know <clears throat> if you don't know you give me all i need yeah. but you know holiday off of love drive then uh, you know the v- very very similar songs You don't have to wait quite as long as Holiday before it all kicks off. And uh, positioning-wise, I've never felt this is as strong as No One Like You. Uh, Interesting that it follows it directly. Uh, We we won't get into another conversation about orders of tracks on albums. But I think this is a Schenker solo, and he really nails it. I I do like this.
1: I don't think this is far off No One Like You. I really don't. I love it. I think it's absolutely in that ballpark um and they they do this stuff so well don't they they're just there is one of these songs on every single scorpions album and they're all bloody good all of them
0: Brilliant richard to a degree on placement this is my um love song and paradise moment of great radio controversy they shouldn't have been together But, yeah, it's just that it's another piece of Europower rock that's not as good as as no one like you. Yeah, classic Scorpions float, but not as good as no one like you. Yeah, not an exceptional song, but still a very good lesson. listen. Mm.
2: All right. And then uh, we do change mood ever so slightly for the uh, final track <laughs> on side one. Two and a half minutes of mayhem called Now. Yeah, I mean real slicing guitars again, razor sharp guitars. And and a fully recovered Klaus Minor <laughs> yeah. hitting the kind of notes he hadn't for years and going absolutely mental. Don Docker was quoted to say, replace him, are you crazy? I sang a yes. couple of lines and they killed me. <laughs> after eight after eight hours of work, it just sounded like buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> I love Don Dockin.
1: And, and I mean, there's a man who can hit some high notes yes. as well. So, yeah. you know, this is my low point in the album. That's um, no. I'm a huge fan of this. Yeah. Uh, have you noticed there's a bit of a pattern here, Steve? <laughs> when they up the pace, you love it. And when they up the pace, I don't. Have you noticed that that's going on?
0: Well, we'll see what you think about Dynamite. Um, no, I no, love this. Is, this is a belter. This is a belter. I mean, it's, it's got to be as fast as anything the school ever did, but in total control, obviously, but after the relative flimsiness, that's probably the, the unkind word of you give me all I need. This is just such a welcome sort of, you know, kicking the nuts. Mm. It's basically, yeah, it's, only two, it's basically two minutes long, isn't it? With some chaos tapped on at the yeah. end. <laughs> I mean, they haven't got long and they're still squeezing some, you know, a complete mayhem. I think it's great fun. Great fun. The ending is
2: absolutely crazy, mm. um, and and I I was felt out of breath as I turned the record <laughs> yeah. over after this. Well, the album continues more or less where it left off with uh, dynamite. I mean, again, this one's almost bordering on a bit thrashy. I presume Steve will quite like it, and uh, <laughs> all about a familiar scorpion subject, sex. Um, so, class minor will give you all his size. Really driven by Rare Bell's drumming. Again, I think um, some parallels here between him and Rudd. I mean, he's not Furman Rare never a big show-offy, super talented drummer, but my goodness, he drove them along. Absolutely drove them along. So, Steve, you asked
1: how would I feel about Dynamite, <laughs> given that I wasn't a huge fan of now. This is the track of the album. <laughs> this is absolutely the track of the album. They, I remember seeing them at Nebworth in 85, the return of the Nebworth Fair. And this was their, I think, set closer. And they, absolute, they had 80,000 people just in the palm of their hand with this song. It was just jaw-droppingly good. And, and I think it's, of all of the Scorpion songs on record, this is the one that's closest to how it's delivered life. Yeah. And so I absolutely adore this song. I think it's fantastic.
0: And it's still not close enough because that's exactly what I was going to no. say. It's live. This is just unbelievable. It's just... And when he yeah. sings Dynamite on the vinyl, it ain't nothing like the way he sings Dynamite live. It's, it's just... <laughs> yeah. It's a yeah. stunning live track. It really is. It Absolutely. It's one of those tracks that just will get, will get a planet on its feet, never mind the audience. Yeah. It's just a it's brilliant song. And that's whenever I listen to this. It's a great song, um, but I just think live. I just remember seeing it and thinking that's a jaw dropper just one of those one of those tracks
1: yeah and the most phenomenal guitar solo hmm
0: yeah. I love the fact I love the fact well I don't love the fact it makes me really envious that Rudy Schenker only took up the guitar because he got injured playing football I thought why couldn't I have got injured playing football a long time ago you know
1: <laughs> mind you he does have to be Michael Schenker's brother so you know, sweet know
0: yeah
2: all right. Well, time for a change of pace, change of style with the uh, track 2 on side 2 which is Arizona. And the Scorpions well, kind of nearly, I suppose, doing southern rock. <laughs> but oh, I don't know about you two. What a, what a hooky song. What an earworm. I mean, it's happy, it's groovy, it puts a smile on my face. I did wonder whether it was a an inspiration for van Halen 's Panama you know um, <laughs> that sort of same kind of story brilliant line again from Holtz. and yeah it just it's just a, just this lovely
0: mid paced groove I was I was going I was thinking rather insultingly um it would sit nicely on down for the count it's got that lovely sort of summer it's better than that by the way it's got that lovely sort yeah, of summer pretty, song yeah. feel to it uh, again there's another, another video I've been watching this week it's just it's <laughs> so that's the 80s time capture. What a giggle. Makes absolutely no sense, but features lots of ladies. So it doesn't have to make any sense. Um, I think it's brilliant. It is just such a summer song. And to, for, for that, they've, they've done it perfectly. Brilliant.
1: brilliant. Well, y and Down for the Count, which um, features summertime girls, oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. That has a video with lots of lovely ladies in it. But all I can remember is Dave Minnickhead's shorts. <laughs> so, you know, they're already ahead of the game. Yeah i like arizona i do i think it's um it's a nice kind of it's it's a different kind of approach but also so scorpions even mm-hmm. though it's different it's still absolutely their template
2: and arizona's followed by well i think i'm fascinated to hear what you think of uh, track eight which is the uh, longest track on the album quite quite a long track over over six minutes nearly seven minutes in length called China White. I mean, I think really, style-wise, it's the follow-up to the zoo off of animal magnetism. I find it quite haunting, eerie, powerful. I I really, really like this, but I do think of this a bit as the scorpion's cashmere. <laughs> so, um, Mark, what do you think of China White? <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I think it's a bit of a plodding dirge. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Uh, it was a toss up between this and um, now as the low. It's, it's, yeah, it's fine. I don't mind them doing this kind of stuff, which they'll be very pleased to hear that I've, you know, <laughs> that I approve of it. It is, it is cashmere and I don't think it's good enough to warrant seven minutes. I think I find it quite tedious, if I am being honest. <laughs>
0: No, I think the length works for a track like this. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the one from left field, isn't it? I, and I get the cashmere link massively, yeah. It's that sort of brooding monotony, isn't it? Uh, makes me think of that.
1: Monotony, that's the word. Yeah, no, but, the, yeah, but monotony it
0: yeah, it doesn't have to be an insulting <laughs> word, does it? Because no, it is monotonous. Yes. There, there is a monoton. No, it's not. Um, but, loads of, but it's interesting. It's, it's interestingly a... monotonous, powerful. Yeah. yeah, I think it's fantastic, completely over the top. Uh, yeah, but really heavy and sort of, you know, dark. I like it. I like it a lot. Look, I haven't given it a low
1: score, mm. but uh, neither have I given it a particularly high one.
0: I like the except. I like the fact that it is an exception on the album as well. I think it's. I think it's. Yeah. it's a gamble they've taken and it's
2: worked. Yeah, I think this is a again. Is, it speaks of a confidence, is not it, Steve? With your um, you know fondness for Genesis, um, one of the reasons I quite like China White is there's a polyrhythm in there. And I realise one of the reasons I like it that monotony of that of the the riff works is the riff is in a different time to the backbeat. It sort of phases over the top back and forth, so which I I really like. So let's finish the album uh, with the other ode to the fans, a pleasant little ditty called "When the Smoke Is Going Down." Much quieter. I mean, yeah, it gets a little bit louder, but not not as much as. Um, no one like you. All about them walking back onto the stage, viewing an empty auditorium, and remembering <laughs> what they've just done. I think this is a perfect ending uh, to this album. You know, I climbed the stage again this night because the place seems still alive. <laughs> Lovely.
0: Yeah, perfect. Per- en- perfect per- end to the album. I mean, perfect end to the evening. Past midnight, sat in your chair, glass of wine. Yeah, this will do. This will do. Mark,
1: it's postcoital, isn't it? <laughs> it is it is it's its its post coital and um see this is where i have it i, I mean i like I, I really do like this song a lot but lyrically i still have issues with their odes and their celebrations of their fans <laughs> because, because this is i tell you why this is the place where i belong i really love to turn you on klaus you don't turn me on please <laughs> stop talking about turning me on I don't want that image in my head. <laughs> um, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's a great way to finish the album. I think it's perfect. The the tone of it, and the pace of it, and the mellowness of it, and the and, and there's a sense of sort of I don't know loss about it, which I really quite like. I find it quite haunting in that way. <clears throat> so yeah, I'd. I love it. I think musically, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's
0: beautifully written. Does yeah,
1: yeah it is beautifully written. But I, 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 I just find I'm I cringe slightly at the lyrics.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right.
2: Well, uh, put us out of our misery then, Mark. In terms of what, what, what is your biggest cringe though? Uh, your low and then your high.
1: Well, the the low, and it's a it's a high low. So uh, I mean, all of these albums are just banging. Um, is now and um, dynamite all day long. Dynamite is my high.
0: Steve, yeah, I'm with Mark on dynamite. Yes, given blackout the same score, but I'll say dynamite because it just takes me back um, to a place. And my low is you give me all I need. Okay, and for me,
2: uh, none of none are low, but my lowest score I gave to now, and uh, my maximum on Blackout is No One Like You. They're just the best power ballad ever. Right, well, we'll see uh, in one album's time how Blackout has done uh, on its own and then in comparison to Back in Black. But we have one more black to come. None more black on this show. And we now turn to Y&T and uh, their album, also
0: from 1982, Black Tiger. Steve opening album sleeve notes yeah very good so yeah as I said earlier curmudgeons might think this is the sort of the, the weak link of the three but um but we're diehards, aren't we so so nothing of the sort this will this will score highly Y black tiger um, their second album is YT I guess fourth album as yesterday and today and Y andT so same band um, released in August 1982 on the a;M label Yeah. Um, and, yeah, released two months after the band had made their live UK debut. Um, they didn't know what they were letting themselves in for when they came over here to uh, to record it at the Rich Farm studio in Dorking, Surrey, um, under Max Norman's stewardship. Um, yeah, so they went to, because they didn't know how popular Earthshaker, the, the previous album, had been on these shores, went to the marquee. Manichetti has got these, you know, glorious images in his head of the geek that y did at the marquee in London in those crowbarring people in he called it insane said he got heat stroke and um, they were absolutely on fire apparently um and and it sort of lit, lit a lit a flame between y and and their english fan base and anyone who's seen them will know you know just what a great live act y and t are and you can imagine a small venue like someone like the marquee it just would have been electric especially at that period of their time as well so yeah they were over here ostensibly to record this album in dorking in surrey with Max Norman, who then um, got in for the gig, I read a nice interview w- w- with Norman where he was extolling the virtues of Leonard Hayes, um, the drummer Lenny, as everyone called him. Uh, as the perfect drummer for this type of record, but I'm not actually sure that the chemistry was perfect because, of course, Norman only did the one album with them. Then they w- they went to Chris Sangaridi's for um, for Mean Street, and he did a better job, um, if I'm being honest, because I've always thought Mean Street. Sounded a bit slicker. So, yeah, this is kind of the Holy Trinity, um, I think. Earthshaker in 81, Mean Streak in 83, and in between, you've got Black Tiger with the classic lineup, the third album of the evening, with a classic lineup from a classic band. Dave manichetti on vocals and lead guitar, Joey Alves on guitar, um, Phil Kenimore on bass, Leonard Hayes on drums. Sadly, three of them no longer with us. Highest UK chart position, it reached 53, stayed eight weeks in, in the charts in the UK, didn't chart in the US. Yeah, it's a nine-tracker. Five on track one. Well, it's a kind of an eight-tracker because from the moon's milieu, prelude to open fire. Then don't want to lose hella high water and forever. Black tiger barroom boogie my way or the highway and winds of change on side two. same Love Black Tiger, contains a number of live staples, contains, you know, two or three of my very favourite Y and T tracks. Um, and and it and it will do well in our Hall of Fame there. I'm gonna put it out there. It will do well in our Hall of Fame because I'm gonna score it highly, and I have no doubt you too will, Richard. Am I right? Yep.
2: Yeah. yeah, I um have given I think that this must be the first episode that I've given a maximum to each of the mm. three albums. Probably because one of us chooses something shit on all of the others, I guess. But I don't know. I know, but uh, he's, he will yeah. do it,
0: Richard, won't he? He will do it. That's the problem. oh
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. The scores will tell. But if, if you if you told ask me what my uh, favorite YT and album was, I would. I would my initial rea- immediate reaction would be to say it's this one. Okay. Uh I, I think it's it's fantastic. I mean, it's got there's some ups and downs in it. But overall, it's it's very consistent, and it's got a couple of just absolute belters that uh, I'll put on any time, anywhere, and uh, they'll make me feel fantastic. I think they were really humming as as a band; uh, and they're playing so well together. And Medichetti was was on fire, both in terms yeah. of his, his guitar playing and his and his vocal performance on on this album is just brilliant so love it
0: good well mark no one sings this band's praises more than you so uh, have another go uh,
1: I, I will just say I, I didn't bring a shit album tonight thank you very much <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah i mean uh, I, I was quite uh, quite early into my journey with wine at this point i would become completely besotted and infatuated with earth shaker which i still think is the best by a distance of all of their albums but you know their scores will probably will probably tell the tale of that particular tape when we get to do Earthshaker at some point in the future um listen this is why are here an American band but um they always had European and particularly UK sensibilities so we kind of claimed them as our own we claimed them as an honorary UK band um I I, I suspect you know German fans would probably say the same thing. Uh, they were massive in Germany, they were massive in Belgium, massive in France. But we claim them. We claim them as an honorary British band. Earthshaker was, I think, a, a really European heavy metal album or hard rock album. And I think in that holy trinity of, of albums, you know, ignoring the two yesterday and today albums, and I love Struck Down, um, and I, I really like. The debut but in that three in those three earth shaker black tiger mean streak this is the one where i kind of think they sound more american many always said you know their, their last concert in the uk was monsters of rock in 84 when they were touring um in rock we trust they didn't come back it was 11 years before they came back many says one of his big regrets was that they didn't come back to europe sooner that their record company for some reason kind of may put all sorts of obstacles in the way Um, but this is an album that I I think feels more American in tone which is no bad thing, it's not a criticism I just think it's, it's an observation I think also it's an album where I think with Earthshaker they were doing exactly what they wanted to artistically and I think they've always done what they want to artistically but I think with this album they also saw that there was this kind of, there was this movement, this sort of tsunami of commercial success that was starting to happen you know, with Def Leppard and Maiden and all the I think they had an eye on that as well. I mm-hmm. think for them, this was the album where they thought, do you know what? We need to ride that particular wave and we need to you know, get some commercial success. So I think this is a more commercial yeah. album than Earthshaker. Mm-hmm. It's less commercial than Mean Street, which in its turn is less commercial than In Rock We Trust. So there is a progression here. And I certainly think it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think Obviously, if 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 my starting point is Earthshaker is the best of them, then what we're seeing here is the start of a very very gradual decline. But it's not a decline, is it? It's you know it's entirely consistent because the, you can get a, you can't get a piece of paper between the quality of all four of of those you know the, the sort of the eighty one to eighty four albums. So yeah, marvelous, fantastic record. Um, I've given three tens. Um, <clears and throat> how good it is. I, I wager, I'd wager that Earthshaker will get more than that, but we'll see.
0: The other innovative thing about this, of course, it was the it was the arrival of the uh, of the Y and T trademark, wasn't it? The logo for the first album. Yeah, it wasn't there on Earthshaker, was it? Yeah. Something, mm-hmm. more, um, something more, something more hand drawn. Okay, so it opens up with well, there's a little instrumental, as I say, but it's merely um, it's, it's merely a prelude to. Open Fire, which is the first track, and um, oh my God, what a track. Uh, uh, that gunfire drum beat from Hayes into just a classic y riff, which in turn just rolls away into a classic y and sing-along, one of their very best. But as soon as you hear this, you know you belted this out with Menachetti so many times um, at a Y&T gig down the years. Such a punchy opener. Mm. I mean, this is proper rock. We, we, you know, we've had three absolute corking first tracks tonight on, even, yeah. on this episode yeah. because open fire forget from the in open fire is such a beast i
1: remember seeing this they, they they having recorded it and released it um they went on tour in the uk with acdc so there's support i mean <laughs> i was in heaven you know acdc and and C on the same bill thank you very much they opened with this obviously I was nearly sick. The the vibrations in my chest with that with Hayes's drums and Kenmore's bass. It, it was one of those things where you could feel your rib cage shaking. It was just mm. amazing, just brilliant. I mean, what a what a statement. Mm-hmm. It's track one.
3: Yeah, she
2: said parallels to blackout, isn't there? There's such massive energy in this. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that hits you is they are so tight. They're yeah. absolutely on it Into with each other. Just
0: brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. I was going to say, we should have the Ken and Moore conversation at some point. I mean, you can have it during any of these tracks, can't you? I mean, what a bass player. Talk about powering these bloody albums along. Gordon Bennett, he's missed. Don't Want to Lose is uh, the next track, and it's an immediate change. It's, it's uh, from, from a real rocker into a sort of chugger. Um, just one of those songs, uh, this, the other side of... of Y&T, isn't it? Just one of those songs with bags of emotion where um, menaketti sounds amazing, especially with that vibrato. And his voice, he, he does it better than anyone. There's a sort of, there's a melancholy feel to this, a sort of love-torn feel to it. I'm sure that's what it's about. But also a towering guitar solo. Sorry, Dave, just how talented are you? <laughs> <laughs> can you do both things incredibly well? Yes, you can. The, the, the solo one, this is one of his briefer ones, I have to say, but yeah, just, yeah, yeah one of so so many more great sing alongs um in the Y and T canon. <laughs> he does this sort of stuff so well, doesn't he?
1: Brilliantly. But I think it is this is this is a moment where you go, We didn't hear this on Earthshaker. So mm-hmm. you know, this is this is a nod to mm-hmm. you know A and M maybe saying, Boys we need we need a bit more kind of mainstream stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know.
0: But the core of but, were there, weren't they? They just sound oh, a little bit more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perhaps, yeah, yeah I know. Polished, yeah. It? Yes.
1: It's smoother. Yes. The, the edges are less sharp. Yeah. It's a bit more radio-friendly than yeah. anything on Earthshaker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not a criticism at all, because Y&T do this stuff so well that... You don't, I, I didn't sit here going, oh God, well, they've, they, you know, they've wimped out, they've sold out. <laughs> N- not a word of it. Yeah. This is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, this is a band that has inspired so many other artists. I mean, uh, for those who don't know YNT, go and look at the, um, go and watch their documentary on with the show on Amazon. It's, you know, Artist after artist after artist saying, "I got into this because of y and Dave Menachetti. Dave Menachetti is a guitar god. Dave Menicetti is the best singer. I mean, yeah, he just there is nothing this he could sing the phone book and you'd listen to it. It's amazing. <laughs>
2: yeah, picking up on your your point about Earthshaker and and this is all a bit different. It is. I mean, this is much more AOR fair, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I mean, no low scores. But this, for me, is a dip. And we'll talk again about order of songs on albums. And I've always felt that just as Open Fire has given me this burst of energy, yeah, this just takes it out of me a little. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that, oh, that's my only negative comment. But it's, uh, it, it, it's good fun. It's, uh, it's nice to listen to. It's pleasant. But... I want a bit more energy stuff.
0: That's really interesting because I'm, I'm fascinated to know what, therefore, would be your second track, given that Black Tiger's kind of got to start side too, hasn't it? Because it's yeah, it's, it's quite a variety of tone, isn't there? It's around um, the album.
2: I mean, I probably would have changed this and um, Hello
0: High Water. Hello High Water. Okay, yeah. which isn't which is oh. which isn't fast.
1: Um, well, it's- if we if, if we're doing the great reordering, if we're gonna <laughs> if we're gonna play that game then surely Borrowing Boogie has to be second.
3: Oh, does
0: it, though? Does it?
2: <laughs> we could be here all you know,
0: <laughs> night, day, wherever you're listening to us. <laughs> well, listen, let's, let's talk "Hello, High Water, which is next, whether you like it or not. It's number four, number three, if you like, um, on the running order. And it's, um, yes, yeah, a bit bit grittier. I love the stop-start guitars, but also that sort of fabulous guitar lines with the chorus. Slightly predictable is it in a, but not in a bad way, um, until the breakdown into the guitar sound, which is almost sort of dainty and delicate, um, but the back line doesn't change. Um, and then part two of the solo is the kind of complete opposite because he just, it just bigs up um, and just sort of thunders. Proper solid rock song, Yeah, but, so, not, but not my favourite.
1: Richard, talk to us about the drum sound because it's a really full, bouncy drum sound on this. It's different to anything else that Hayes has. How's sound on the rest of the album in my? Yeah,
2: there's there's just a lot, a hell of a lot of bass and reverb mm. on it. A lot, a lot of echo. I mean, it's really sort of beat. Imagine drums in a great big room, isn't it? Mm. That with Ken bass, despite this being a, a slow song, the reason I said swap them over is this absolutely punches you.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh And the riff is just immense. I love the riff yeah. in this.
1: What? Well, I think the technical term is it's as heavy as fuck. Yes. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, It really is. It I mean, is. Yeah. it sounds yeah. light and airy and bouncy, but it's a really heavy yeah. track.
0: Yeah. And also that kick-up away from the solo as well towards the end when it really does go, you know, proper yeah. heavy. I mean, can it get proper heavier?
1: Um, um, back, at, back in the day, you know, when they did interviews with the bands in Kerrang!, um, you yeah, know, it was, yeah, you, you almost had to say that when you were asked, which is your favourite guitar solo? A guitarist would have to say one of the tracks on the album they just released, wouldn't they? I mean it was just <laughs> yeah. that was the rule. But I I remember reading Kerrang when this came out and Menichetti said his favourite guitar solo was um was on this track. Okay. I, I met him after a gig oh god, about seven years ago, and said when you were interviewed by Kerrang, you said that this was your favourite guitar solo. Do you still feel the same way? And he went I don't remember saying so.
0: <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, what Y&T do better than anyone, pretty much, is know how to close a side. Um, and they certainly do that on uh, side one of Black Tiger with Forever, which is epic, classic epic, brooding sort of powerhouse of a song. But an absolute live staple, obviously, the ultimate sing-along and fist puncher in equal measure. You know, just listening to this now, I've got, yeah, I mean, how many concerts have we whisked back to, uh, you know, Menachete front and centre? And the beauty of Y&T gigs is you can almost nearly always get very close to the stage. Uh, and and Menachete is there, sweat pouring off him, crowd going mental. Yeah, this is, this is one of those epic uh, Y&T songs, as far as I'm concerned. And it's just to it's build through that midsection into the solo when the gallop becomes unstoppable, you know? Yeah. Um, you, you can just feel the big screeching. And also because you, 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 you can feel that big screeching guitar coming um, and when it does, wow, you know, just wow. And that's before the outro. <laughs> Fucking hell. I mean, what a way to close a side. Um, yeah, ah, joy, 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 joy. Yeah,
2: it picks the word. And it's so high in emotion. And I mean, the other thing about Minichetti's voice is he never has to reach, does he? He's singing this no. song higher and he's still just so smooth and just all the little bits those little guitar accents the ooh on the falling and and, and that that maiden like fast chug in the third yeah. quarter I mean it, it, oh, it's brilliant yeah as you say there aren't many better side one closers than this
0: yeah
1: do you know what there, there there are not many people that I would like to have sing me to sleep but Dave Menneke is one of them Aussie <laughs> isn't oddly enough um, yeah uh what, uh, this Till Lindemann? no. <laughs> Can you imagine? Fucking nightmare. <laughs> 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 oh dear. Um, yeah. I God. Yes. I was. i now. I've got the video. <laughs> <pretty> in, <mate>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Um, <laughs> uh, I no. Forever is just. Uh, uh, I mean, it's almost beyond description, it's so good.
0: You know, you don't want to end it, but you do have to, because it ends at 5.47 mark, and we turn it over to side two, which opens with, wow, well, yeah. There aren't many bands who start side two as well as Y and T. <laughs> There's a theme here, <laughs> isn't there? <laughs> Black Tiger, anyway, start side two. Jungle start, loads of, so, but it's, all, it's all about atmosphere, isn't it? And a, a sort of stealthy guitar, sorts of percussion in there and a, gentle build, Hayes' background drum roll, bigger and bigger and bigger and bang, um, into, yeah, n- another one of their most recognisable riffs. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, Kenmore again on bass. Um, he- he's turning a piece of metal anthem into, you know, a dance tune. I mean, it's, it's just so groovy as well as heavy. That's quite a skill. And an absolute crowd favourite again. Another classic just tick it off yet another
2: this is my maximum on this album I, mm. I, I just absolutely love it the it's, just, it's like Kenamore's bass line <laughs> yeah. that's what makes yeah. this song it's just this dri- it's driving it's bouncy and everything is, is, is floating along on, on top mm. um, it's got everything the, the bridge back into the chorus the solo oh Perfect song. Brilliant.
1: This is just just brilliant, isn't it? It's, I, there's, I, I remember reading, I can't remember for the life of me, which is not very helpful, I realise, on a podcast where you're trying to describe what's going on. But the sound effects uh, at the start of Black Tiger are not jungle effects, aren't they? They're, they're mechanical. They were created within the studio, I think. But oh, okay. I can't remember how it was done. Can't remember how it was done. But yeah, brilliant. It's just got a relentless riff and fantastic solo. Mm. And yeah, th- Phil Kenimal.
0: Yeah. Very good. From Black Tiger, we got a bar in Boogie, which is next. Uh just 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 it cannot be taken seriously on any level, although there are many who do take it seriously, on, as in they disapprove of many of the lyrics. Latter day reviewers quite unkind about it. But um yeah, and no, I, I I loved it back in the day and Feeling slightly red faced, I still love it now, and and I've yet to go to a wine and t show, whether in my twenties or fifties, where I haven't belted this out <laughs> with everyone else. Um, and yeah, my bad, but God, what a song! Yeah, well, I'm not favorite. sure. Dave,
1: yeah, I'm not sure Dave would write these lyrics if he was giving no, his time over. No, um, no, no, definitely uh,
0: not.
1: Richard, but, Leonard Hayes's drums.
0: Oh. Oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. 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 It just yeah. Comes close to uh things like uh Jeff Piccaro's groove in Rosanna of drum grooves, I wish I could play, but I'm not even gonna try.
1: <laughs> yeah, my brother says the same thing. Um it's, it's a great it's just funny. It's it's uh, yeah, it's that you know, moment where you wake up with somebody who was a lot better looking when you went to bed. Mm. Um And yeah, I've got to go home. It's an emergency, but you are home. It's just a brilliant line. It is brilliant. It's a brilliant line.
0: It is fun. It is fun. It it is a fun piece of of work. And it's a brilliant piece of work as well, I have to say. Um, And that solo, when it picks up into that solo with that. Oh my God. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, Yeah, the way it starts. Brilliant kicking. Anyway, that's Byron Boogie. Um, Now, my lowest score is My Way or the Highway, which is um, track three, only because I've got to have a lower (laughs) score. because uh, no. it's not a low score at all. I've never played live, and I kind of get it, because it's it's pretty straight-ahead rock and roll, if you like. Love that sort of drum and bass opening, um, but not uh, Meniketti's rap, which he was prone to do from time to time. Did it unforgivably mm. on Contagious, as I recall. Um, what was that track? can't remember now. But Anyway, but the riff's another infectious chugger, um, more ever-so-slightly suspect lyrics. It's a fair enough song. Um, but as as I say, always the one I've, le- I've warmed to least mm. on this album. But it's, it's the company it keeps, isn't it? Really, tame ending as well. Doesn't need to go on as long as it does. I don't think.
2: Yeah, it's a shame because the the main riff is a wonderfully wonderfully crunching riff, isn't it? But I, I do feel it's more workman like song. Not not gonna mm. uh, a low score, but yeah, I think I'm with you about the, my my lowest. And I find the chorus is a bit lazy. It's um, I mean, <laughs> this is not not saying that Kiss are lazy, but it, I did find the chorus a bit Kiss-like.
1: Oh, I think you're being unkind. I think this is great. It's heavy riff. I, although having said that, when it, when I first got the album, this was also my least favourite track. But I think mm-hmm. I've warmed to it over the years. Yeah. And, um, it's different isn't it they've tried something a bit different I and mean, it is really groovy get kind of gets under your skin and yeah you know the- you can't help moving to it no
0: it's a great riff great riff yeah no it is that uh, yeah as i say not a bad track at all i mean clearly not but um and t- trumped by the next one as well with the, the closer which is winds of change i mean just you know no one did this of ballad uh power ballad if you like Sp- well sprawling epic sprawling power ballad epic there's a new one, um, quite light wine tea. Well, not in least, not in terms of sheer consistency. I mean, they did so many of these things that were bloody brilliant. I mean, apart from temptation. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was shocking. This is not a very atmospheric, very gentle. The passion again and the emotion in Menachete's voice as it builds and it lifts and it drifts. And a midsection when you know, you know what's coming. You always know what's coming. There's a prelude to the real sort of power section of the song. Um, And the inevitable solo to close, inevitable sounds begrudging, far from it. Um, A a wonderful solo to close. It's just a fantastic closer. It just really is. It's just just perfect. It's how Y&T should finish all their albums. And uh, many of them, they did.
1: See, I think this is better than I Believe In You. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think this is the best of these that they did. Okay. And for me, this always feels like a bit of a companion piece, actually, to Rescue Me. yeah. It's the same sentiment, isn't it? same kind of sentiment. Um, and I just think it's beautifully written. I think his voice is amazing on it. What I love about it is that the back line is so understated mm. that it never gets in the way. And it's, it's very easy to get in the way of tracks like this. And I've heard, we've, we've all heard, you know, bands that have tried this sort of power ballad at the end of an album and it's just a bit of a mess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Max Norman, give him uh, the credit he deserves because... Yeah, he's, he's got this. And you're, you're, you're right, Steve. He and Leonard Hayes just didn't get off no. the table. Of um, so, yeah, he was never going to produce the next one.
0: No. Um,
1: but he gets, I think he just gets the best out of them here. Really does. It's it, It's just the smoothness of it all. Not just the vocal, but everything else as well. Mm. Perfect way to end the
2: album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's almost got a bit of a... Scorpions vibe about yes. it, isn't mm. it? There's some parallels with uh, what we're talking about on Blackout, and for me, it's that it's got a bit of bad company about it. I'm um, including there are some similarities in that electric guitar riff, <laughs> but it's brilliant, really good closer. Loads of air, loads of space, and I'm a, I love how the second
0: half kicks in. Brilliant. Super stuff, super album. The scores, well, we'll find about the scores in a minute. Let's do the highs and lows, first of all. Mark? Uh, well,
1: there aren't any lows, are there? Um, the the highest low scorer, if that's a thing, is, um, is Hell or High Water. And pick one from three. Forever, Black Tiger, Windsor Change. I think I would probably, if I had to take one of them to a desert island, it would be the, it would be Windsor Change. <clears throat>
2: Okay. Richard? Uh, my lower score uh, is My Way or the Highway, I think. And uh, as i said, Black Tiger, just 10 out of 10. Fantastic drum.
0: Okay. Yeah, and I'm with you on My Way or the Highway. That's to say, not a bad song, just the, the lowest score of the eight on there that we score. And Forever. Uh, it just, yeah, one of those songs that just take me back to a, a live venue somewhere in time and... um singing along like never before brilliant there you go then. that's black tiger y&t um from 1982 and the third and final album for this episode of the pod we better go and mark these and come back and see where they wind up in the hall of fame reviews complete initializing rating process
1: okay so uh the first album up back in black uh how did that get on well so um well it scored reasonably well um <laughs> stevie gave it an 8.45 uh richard you gave it an 8.6 uh, unsurprisingly i've given it over nine uh, at 9.14 for an average album score of 8.73 i haven't looked but i'm thinking that might do quite well in the end. <laughs> uh richard scorpions blackout
2: yeah well compared to uh, back in black that i'm shit Um, (laughs) compared to others in the hall of fame well rather good and we're there or thereabouts in the eights as well as steve uh, was uh, a nats whisker off of an eight seven point nine four mark you gave it an eight point three three and unsurprisingly i was a little higher with an eight point four four and that gives scorpions an average of eight point two four for blackout so how will Y&T
0: do? Are they up there as well, Steve? Yeah, very much so. We're not leaving the eights behind us yet either. Um, you were the lowest score with an 8.125. Um, well, this thing did. I gave 8.25. And yeah, Mark loved it to bits. 8.9 for an overall score of 8.425. Um, so there you go. Three albums firmly planted in the eights, which means they're going to do well. Um, and let's go and find out how well. It's time to put The Rock in a hard place, opening the Hall of Fame.
2: We have 165 albums in there now. Uh, The table's still being propped up by Earth Crisis uh, and then Gorky Park and Raven at the bottom, but I think we'll have to climb a few places higher than the 160s for these albums. And, yeah, well, I think this is the first time uh, since this list became of a reasonable length, that we've had three albums that all crash into the top twenty. The Scorpions, the lowest score of uh, the albums tonight, but they're still they've still come in uh, number seventeen, uh, a place higher than Death Leopard's On Through the Night, and a place below Led Zeppelin Three. So that's the uh, that's where we hold it uh, in terms of. Uh, Uh, it's deserved place uh, in in the Hall of Fame and well for YMT uh, they've actually got into the top 10 Uh, so Black Tiger in number 7 and they're a place higher than Diamond Head's Lightning to the Nations and just below the Black Album and Metallica so yeah look we we are these are all essential listening if you don't have these albums please go out and buy them, likelihood is you might have What is our new number one album? So, yes, for all the hype and everything else, we've marked this track by track. Yes, there were a few weak ones on there, but the strong ones, or weaker ones, but the strong ones more than make up for it. ACDC is the new number one in the Hall of Fame, and it knocks Metallica's Ride the Lightning off
0: the top spot. Gentlemen, they did it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. I never thought Led Zeppelin 4 would get knocked off. And then then Ride the Lightning did it. And I I thought, well, that's set a bar stupidly high. But we always sensed, didn't we? We we all knew that this was going to be a contender. So, uh, yeah, you know, just just speaks volumes for the album it is, doesn't
1: it? Yeah. And if you kind of wind back to episode one, when we were talking about what we all kind of hoped for this list we were all fairly i think broadly in agreement that what we really wanted was to see some different albums at the top yes yeah um, and to be fair we have got one or two in that top 10 um, that you know you wouldn't expect to see in your average online list of the best hard rock and heavy metal albums of all time but acdc are there at the top and you know uh, deservedly so it's just been it's a monster isn't it it's an absolute monster
0: yeah well they've got three albums in the top 20 and we've only done four so yeah you
1: know yeah there's a lot of black in that top 20 yeah (laughs) black tiger back in black the black album blackout and i think lucifer's friend is an honorary black (laughs) (laughs) well there you go i what's the quote i fear we shall not see his like again um well will back in black ever be toppled given that we kind of thought acdc's back in black might be the last one with a really good shot at the top uh the suggestion would be no but then this list never fails to surprise does it so who knows what else is out there um we're going to try another three next time out but in the meantime thanks very much for your company hope you've enjoyed it and we will see you next time
0: all music clips featured in the enter sad men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of uk and international copyright law to make sure the rock rolls forever on Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service.